Amen. Got to love it. Got to love it, the church being a church, right? Good, stinking stuff, got to tell you. Okay, uh, since June the 28th, we've been walking our way through a letter breathed by God and written by the half-brother of Jesus, a guy who believed that Jesus was the Son of God and who actually ended up being one of the, the first Christians to be murdered for his faith. Uh, question, well, what do, you, what do you have to do to convince your half-brother that you're God in the flesh to the point that he would give up his own life for you? Answer, resurrect yourself from the grave, right? And that's exactly what Jesus did. And, and so, so James, when, he, when James wrote this letter, he had, he had one primary concern. He had one driving passion as his pen danced across the paper. And that, that primary passion is James wanted uh, the Christians in the first century who attended churches and all Christians who would attend church up until the time that Jesus returns and splits the sky. His concern was that they would, that they would not just talk about faith, that they would not just sing about faith, but that they would have faith that is real, that they would have real faith. And James, in the 1,742 words uh, that make up his letter, uh, spells out in, in very vivid and bold detail what real faith looks like. Uh, with, faith, with a faith that is grounded in the resurrection and that is fueled by the presence of the Holy Spirit who resides in us, who empowers us, and who stirs within us to become more like Christ. And, and James says that, that real faith, uh, that real faith, turns trials into triumphs. You're going through a trial right now? Now James says that, that real faith, real faith uh, defeats sin and temptation. He, he, he says that, uh, that real faith is not simply a hearer of the word, but, but real faith actually goes out and does the world. Uh, James says that, that real faith reigns in the tongue, and, and, that, and, and that real faith uh, combines faith and works into a dynamic duo that saves, that does good, that makes sacrifices, that takes risks, that is alive, that honors God, and that changes the world. And James says that, that real faith looks after the orphan and the widow and after those who cannot take care of themselves. He, he says that, that, that real faith actually tames the untamable, tames the words that come out of our mouth so that the words that come out of our mouth don't destroy and hurt people, but instead bring and give life to people. And that real faith, James says, it, it, it lives out a wisdom. It lives out a way of relating with people uh, that is full of good deeds that come from humility, and, and that is pure, peace-loving, considerate, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, sincere and impartial. Uh, James says that, that real faith breaks up with the world, bows down before God, and that real faith stops busting on their brothers and sisters. And James says that, that real faith does not live lives of luxury and self-indulgence, but instead leverages its resources for the expansion of the kingdom and the spread of the gospel. James was concerned that we would have real faith, and God has put his spirit in us to make that possible. Amen? Amen. Now, this morning, we're going to be unpacking James 5, 7 through 11 in a conversation I'm calling, very creative title, Be Patient, all right? And, and, and uh, next week, we're going to wrap up James. It'll be our 12th message in the series. We're going to look at the final nine words that that James put on paper uh, uh, 2,000 years ago. So here's our text, and I'm going to ask you guys if you would stand as I read it to us. And every now and then we stand 
Not every time I read scripture, because I read a lot of scripture, we'd be doing aerobics, but you know, we stand sometimes just honor and respect for God's word. Here's what James, a half-brother of Jesus, wrote 2,000 years ago. I'll be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word and invite you guys to pray with me. Um, Sometimes we like to invite people to pray open palms, just symbolic that we're ready to receive from God. Heavenly Father, we just humbly and with expectation and with joy come into your presence. We love you. You love us more. You loved us first. And God, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, that your, that your word will speak to us in a way that'll make a difference, that'll help us to become more like your son. Father, help me to speak your truth in the way that you want me to speak it. Um, God, help me not to get in the way. And God, I, I pray that because of what happens in this room today, um, a difference is made in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Again, our conversation today is called Be Patient. And so turn to the person to your right and to your left and tell them, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Take a chill pill, right? Be patient. You know, you know it seems to me that a whole lot of creativity and a, a great amount of effort in our day and age is spent on trying to eradicate from the face of the earth any need for us to be patient. Yeah, we seem heaven-bent on making sure that we don't have to wait for anything ever. And yet there's this real ironic thing happening. It seems that the more we make the world faster and easier, the more impatient we actually are. I mean, think about it. Things are faster now than they've ever been. You want movies? I mean, you can stream them live instantly on any device that you have. Uh, you, you, you're working on a project last week and you're wondering how your football team is doing, playing the, I'm checking the Patriots all, all day long. I can up to date in seconds. Here's something that stuck out to me this week as I was prepping, getting ready for the message. I, I, I went to Chick-fil-A to grab some food and I noticed they had two workers outside with iPads taking orders. Why? Because fast food just isn't fast enough, right? We got to speed that sucker up a little bit more. Yes, everything is, I have to have it now. And this way of life has us all jacked up and, and wound way too tight. Oh man, our flight's delayed an hour, and now it's going to take me 13 hours and not 12 hours to get to the other side of the world? Do you know how long it took to do that 200 years ago? Uh, question, how many of you, now, now this is a safe place, if you're a guest, this is a safe place, welcome home. How many of you this week found yourself trying to download a document, a picture, or a video, just something, and then you gave up because it wasn't moving fast enough? Think of how crazy that is. Oh, man, I've been waiting for like 18 seconds. Never mind, I have no time for this right now. It's just crazy. 
I have a sound I want to see if anybody out there recognizes. Wash some dishes, get some coffee. <laughs> Anybody recognize that sound? Oh man. And then you get on and kick you off again, right? That's the sound of going doll up internet if, for those who have never experienced that. And you know, also, I can remember in my lifetime having conversations about things that had no resolution. Here's what I mean by that it's only been in, in, in the last. 10 years of human existence that we've been able to be at dinner with friends and, and to ask questions like, and if you have a smartphone, get it ready, all right? Get your smartphones ready, okay? Pull them out. And ask questions like this and get an answer real quick. Uh, hey, when, when did Missouri become a state? When, when did Missouri become a state? Anybody know? Any smartphones working? Okay, your guys are slow. August the 10th, 1821. You can ask questions like this. Like, how much does the Statue of Liberty weigh? 225 tons. You, you can know. You don't have to wait. Here's another one. Now, what president served the shortest amount of time? William Henry Harrison, the ninth president. He served just 32 days. He's also known for giving the longest inaugural address. In the freezing cold weather, he spoke for one hour, 45 minutes, caught a cold, turned into pneumonia, and died 32 days later. Sorry. It's It's crazy. I understand, it, 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 you know, 10 years ago, you, you couldn't pull out something like this and instantly have an answer. This is brand new. This never existed in all of human history, yet we're perpetually aggravated and impatient. Question, how many of you, you know, last month, at least one time, yelled at a screen, Right? You yelled at your, your iPhone, you yelled at your iPad, you yelled at your smart TV because it kept kicking you off Netflix, right? Come on, come on, why are you buffering again? It was at a good point. This stuff drives you crazy, but think about how crazy it is that it drives you crazy. You know, when I, when I was in college and I did research, I had to go to a place called a library and, and I, I had to use this thing called a card catalog, right? And it had something like the Dewey Decimal System. And, 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 you know, and if I wanted to, hey, I don't want to work in the library. I want to work somewhere else. I would actually have to make copies of the books. You know? And when you made a copy of a book, you never got it right the first time, right? So the first seven pages are gone, right? That's like 45 cents is gone. And, and when you're a freshman in college waiting tables at Perkins, a family of four, you know, that, might as, that might as well be a you know, million dollars, because that's a couple packages of ramen noodles, and ramen noodles, that's just, that's staying alive, and, 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 and when I did a, uh, you know, when I did a, a term, 20-page term paper, I did it on a $99 Sears typewriter, right? You know, white out, and that little white tape you're using, there was no like, oh, man, I forgot that on page 12, I'll just insert it. You couldn't do that. Yeah, everything today has gotten faster and easier, and it's only served to frustrate and make us less patient. I mean, even riding roller coasters can be faster and weight lesser, right? Weight lesser. Um, it, you can go to places like King's Dominion, and you can buy something called a fast pass for a few extra dollars, right? Which allows you to, right? There's some people waiting in line, sweating for two hours in the sun. You walk up right past them. Hey, sucker. <laughs> 
fast, fast, baby, right? They just despise you and curse you as you go on the roller coaster, right? Everything is built for speed. Everything is built for you don't have to wait. Let's just create another line around the drive-thru. And you know what? It hasn't been good for our souls. I understand the Lord values patience in his children. And not just so we don't, don't scream at us, scream at Not so we just don't yell at our screen, scream at our spouse, or snap at our kids. You see, when we think of patience, that's usually the wrong way we think of it, right? Oh, I I lose my patience so easily with my spouse, with my kids, uh, when I'm driving. That's the kind of things we think about with patience, those surface-level things. Now, I don't think God is unconcerned about those things. He speaks about those things, but understand God is serious about patience because God is serious about patience because real faith and deep lasting penetrating joy in him requires it, right? Real faith and deep lasting penetrating joy in God requires patience. James says real faith demands patience. And here's how I want to unpack our text today. Um, here's a basic outline for it. As James writes to, the, writes to these people who are oppressed externally and conflicted internally. James encourages them and exhorts them, be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other. Be patient, God's promises are true. First point, be patient, the Lord is coming. James writes, be patient. It's uh, the Greek word, makrothumos, a compound word that means long-suffering, Be long-suffering then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Understand for 2,000 years, the heart, the hope, the imagination, and the confidence of every believer in Christ has been set on the return of Christ and all things being made new. And listen, when it comes to the Lord's return, it is God's intent that the church and every generation live as though his return could happen at any moment. And that's exactly how the early church lived, right? They believed that Christ could come at any moment. And the truth is, he really could come at any moment because nobody knows when he's going to come, right? I mean, Jesus himself said in, in Mark chapter 13, he said, but concerning that day when I'm coming back or that hour, what does he say? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. Not even Facebook and the internet and Wikipedia, Right? nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows. Be on guard, then. Keep awake, for you do not know <laughs> when the time will come. That's why I'm always fascinated by people who try, to, who try to figure out when he's coming back. It's like, you don't know. You're not going to know. Jesus, Jesus doesn't know. The angels don't know, but somehow you know. It, I don't know. So I don't worry about it. I really don't. I understand. Our job is not to try to figure out when he's coming but to live our lives with the expectation that he could come this very day. You, you, you wonder why Paul was so motivated, why he get beat up in a city and go back preaching? Because Paul said, you know what? Before this day ends, Jesus may come back, right? He, the early church lived with this expectation, and God wants us to know that he could come. You know, he could come before this service ends, right? He could come before the sun sets the day. Be patient then, my brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Understand, for the Christians, history is linear, And what I mean by that is that we're moving towards something and we're moving away from something. 
And the thing that we're moving toward is the day when Christ returns and consummates all he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. At Maple Grove, our Savior is returning to get us and to take us home. Amen? Amen. Be patient then, my brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. John in Revelation 21 paints a picture of what, the, what that day looks like that we are so looking forward to. Here's what he writes. Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and be their God. And they will be my children. Brothers and sisters, this day is coming and we are closer now than we were when we walked through those doors a few minutes ago. And listen, this truth is where uh, the Christian hope hinges, that, that Christ is coming and, and that when he does, he'll make all things new. Tears, mourning, loss, sadness, death, disease, all will vanish, evicted forever. Yes, this is our hope. This is our future. This is our confidence. In fact, even in communion at the end of our service, part of what we're celebrating in the cup is that we're closer to the day where we'll drink with him face to face. Not holding a, a, a small cracker in a cup. Jesus said in the upper room, after giving the Lord's Supper, he says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait to sit around that table. Maple Grove, this is a reality. This is not wishful thinking. So James is telling us and them, so hold on. You're almost there. Be patient. We're almost home. Be patient. It, it won't be long now. Be patient. Because the day is coming when every bit of difficulty, every bit of suffering, every bit of weariness, every bit of depression, anxiety, struggle, sin, temptation, and heartache will be gone forever. I understand the day is coming where we no longer have to fight or try to hang in there because Jesus Christ is coming to take us from this place and bring us into something new and something better, something no eye has seen or mind or heart has even imagined. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, be patient. Your new home, your, your mind-blowing future, Right? Your perfect forever is coming soon. Next, be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. James writes, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Literally, it's, it's reading precious fruit. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. 
you also be patient. He's tying that back to his first point, be patient. I understand James is, is saying that the, the harvest is at the end of the effort, right? Not at the beginning. And James is saying that the future good is what justifies the present effort, right? It's the harvest that justifies the effort of the farmer. And because of this, James says, establish your hearts. It's the Greek word sterizo. It means to strengthen. It means to make stable and secure. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, as a Jesus follower, we are on this kind of linear line with the coming of the Christ and all things being made new, uh, being the end of history as we know it. And, and listen, you and I got on this line somewhere, right? We got on this line somewhere back here when we were converted by the grace of God, when we surrendered to Christ in faith and repentance and, and baptism. You know, and speaking of baptism, in, in two weeks we're going to have a baptism Sunday, right? And Actually, every week you can be baptized. Every day you can be baptized, right? But some of you, you know, need to make the decision. And, and I include it in your outline. You go to our website. You know, there's a personal study you can do. You know, what the Bible says about baptism. You know, what you need to know before you're baptized. You know, I encourage you. If you've not yet surrendered to Christ in baptism, Jesus himself said, he that believes and is baptized, Mark 16, 16, will be saved. And so we're going to have a baptism Sunday. You can email me, steve at thegrowseville.org if you have any questions. Okay, it's going to be a great day. But if you want to do it today, it's even better, right? Okay, so we're on this linear line adopted into his family. Now his sons and daughters called to conform, to be transformed more and more into his likeness. Just like Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the first among many brothers and sisters. You, you see, God is not only in us, but he's, he's accomplishing something in us. Listen, just like the farmer, the seed has been planted and the land will yield its precious fruit. And yeah, I know we can't always see it, right? And if you're like me, I... I Maybe you get frustrated at the seemingly little progress you've actually made in all these years of fallen Christ. But be patient. Establish your heart. Because God is accomplishing something in you. I mean, look at where you were. Right? Look at where you were and look at where you are. I mean, never forget that in this journey to become like Christ, it is about what? It's about progress, not what? Not perfection. Well, in this linear line, right? It's about progress, not perfection. Paul put it this way. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Brothers and sisters, be patient. Be patient. The Lord is at work. He, he's at work in your struggles. He's at work in your joy. He's at work in your losses. He's at work in your failures. He's at work in your struggles. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. The harvest is coming. Be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. God will complete what he started in you. Be patient. The Lord is at work. Be patient, the Lord is coming. And next, be patient 
with each other. James writes, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Man, I can't believe they. I'll tell you what, she. I don't agree. I'll tell you what, they, him, she, they, him. Now, James has been here before, right, talking about the misuse of our tongue, how it hurts people and how it hurts the church. He said in chapter 3, right, he said, out of the same mouth comes praise and curses, right? Right? I touch the sky, I touch the sky, spirit falling, hey. And then we, hey, you're an idiot. You know, same mouth comes praise and curses. He said, brothers, I ought not be. He says in Chapter 4, you know, don't speak against, don't slander your brothers and sisters. A guy named Guy Woods, one of the commentaries I've been using in my study, writes, the saints to whom these words were addressed were sorely burdened, their lives were exceedingly hard, and it was therefore not always easy for them to bear up under their difficulties. Often fretful, quarrelsome, disposed to blame their brethren, easy to take offense, and quick to find fault with others, all of which made their own lives, what's the next word? Miserable. I mean, how many happy grumblers do you know, right? And created serious problems for others. You see, James' argument is is that because we're receiving the same grace, because uh, we have the same hope, because we're looking forward to the same future, uh, because we're part of the same family, because we're on the same linear line waiting for his return, we must be patient with each other and we must stop grumbling against one another. Well, you may think, Steve, is grumbling really that big of a deal to God? Does he really care that much? I'll read a verse, and you tell me what God thinks about grumbling. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is saying, hey, the, the Old Testament was meant to teach us and to warn us. Don't mess up like they did. Here's what he says. And do not grumble as some of them did, and we're what? What's the next word? Killed. Killed. Well, that'd be crazy, right? Killed. God doesn't like grumbling. God's talking about when they grumbled against Moses in the, in the wilderness. Well, I tell you, I'm, glad that, I'm, I'm glad that grumbling stopped in the wilderness and that grumbling about our brothers and sisters and grumbling about the church, I'm glad that ended in the first century, aren't you? No. I, I, we know that's not true. I understand one of the most effective ways that our enemy, hear me, one of the most effective ways that our enemy steals our joy, kills our witness, and destroys our progress in becoming more like Christ is to get us to focus on the faults and flaws of others, to pass judgment on them, and then to grumble about them. I mean, how can you assure that a Christian will not walk in the joy that God is giving him in the grace of Christ? Let him focus on the weaknesses of the churchmen around him, and let him grumble. Now, now, we know theologically how we should think about each other, right? I mean, if we keep going back to this linear line and we come to Christ, we're waiting for his ultimate return to make all things new. No more tears, no mourning, no death. That day, now what's true is that on that line towards that day, none of us is complete, right? None of us are complete. None of us have arrived, Right? We're all in varying stages. We're all at various places on, on this line. Now, the good news is, is that God's grace for us stays lavish and extravagant throughout the entire process, right? Here's the good news. See, God knew what he was getting when he bought me on the cross, right? He knew what he was getting, and he bought me anyhow, right? 
He knew he was getting, and he bought you anyhow because his grace is sufficient. His grace is an inexhaustible well, and it never runs out. Amen? And so James' argument about being patient with each other is this. He say, hey, if I were you, I would be careful grumbling about your brother when the judge, the only one who has a right to judge, is standing in the doorway watching and listening. Understand, when you grumble about a brother and sister in Christ, when, when you grumble a, a, about the church, Jesus hears every word. Uh, question, if Jesus in the flesh were suddenly to appear right in the middle of one of your grumbling sessions, and God convicted me that this morning of a place I often have grumbling sessions, right here. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my grumbling never gets out. <laughs> it just kind of stays in here. But man, I'll tell you what, right? There's some things, right? I know, okay, I might want to grumble about my wife, but she's Italian and can be scary, so I'll keep that in my head, right? Okay, that, Steve, that stays in here because last time that came out, it didn't end so well, so I'll just grumble in here. <laughs> Sometimes I'll grumble, and I don't know what I'm doing out loud. Are you saying something? Oh, no, I think I just flushed the toilet or something. I don't know, you know. Um, but, but, but if Jesus were to show up in one of your grumbling sessions, either in your head or in the foyer, in the hallway, how would you feel? What would your response be? Would you say, hey, Jesus, come on. You want to grumble with us? Let me tell you about this idiot. Let me tell you about how messed up I think my church is, right? Come on, Jesus. Would you do that? Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You know, this verse in James reminds me of that powerful scene we see in John chapter 8 where a woman is caught in adultery and drugged before Jesus. The law demands that she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? It was a setup. Jesus is like not giving them an answer, and we read this. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right. All right, all right, but let the one who never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Did even one of them, even one of them condemn you? You see, if if we would just dial in to all that God has forgiven us for, if we would just dial in to how much grace God has lavished on us, if we would just dial in to how much mercy, not treating us as our sins deserve, that God has shown to us, I promise you our self-righteous judgment and grumbling about our brothers would shrink considerably. Amen? James' argument is, hey, bro, the real judge is standing at the door, and I'd watch my mouth if I were you. I understand the mercy that has been extended to us enables us to extend mercy to others. Don't grumble. Be patient with your brothers and sisters, because like you, they're all works in progress. Question, have you ever grumbled? about another believer or about the church? Raise your hands. Anybody ever do that? Anybody a liar? Okay. okay. And, and, and here's what I ask you to do, because, you know, we've all done it, right? 
you know? And, 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 and I'm going to ask you, do you get, and we all, uh, like, we, you, anybody think we should? No, we shouldn't. And so if you want to tell God today, God, you know what? I want to do better. And with your spirit inside, inside of me, I don't want to grumble anymore and sin against you. Would you stand? If you're ready to stand up, say, no, I don't want to be a grumbler. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to grumble. Let me get my phone. <laughs> hey, I, and then I grumble about you, right? I'm grumbling. Some of you are grumbling right now. I can't believe he's having to stand up. I'm going to stand up, but I tell you what, I don't want to stand up. Right? That's what's in your head, because that's what be in my head, right? I'm messed up. You're messed up. Welcome. Next, be patient. God's promises are true. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James is like, hey, do you need a mentor? Do you need a few examples? Do you need a coach to help you be patient? Well, consider the prophets. They spoke for God. They spoke his truth. They spoke of his promises. They called his people to repentance. They said things that sometimes people didn't want to hear. Truth be told, it did not always work out well for them. Many of them uh, were killed, but they stood firm. They kept on speaking for God. They were macrothumas. They were long-suffering, and we count them blessed because of it. And you know what? Every promise, every word they spoke came true. James goes on. He said, you heard of Job. Now he's going to try and encourage people with the book of Job. The book of Job is a book of encouragement. I love it. Here's what happens in the book of Job. The Bible tells us that God is on his throne and the angels are presenting themselves to him. The accuser walks in. The devil is the accuser. He walks in and God asks the accuser what he's been up to. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the sons of men. And God said, hey, you see my guy, you see my, my man Job? He, he really likes me. And the accuser goes, of course he praises you. Of course he loves you. You give him all good things. He has many children. He's extremely wealthy. You've done nothing but bless him. Of course he praises you. But if you let me take all you've given him, he will curse your name. And God says, okay. <laughs> what? And then maybe hours, maybe days, Job loses everything. All his seven children die. All his wealth vanishes. And how does Job respond? Job rips his clothes, gets in sackcloth and ashes, and he says in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the scene switches back. We're back in heaven and God is on his throne. The angels are presenting themselves again. And the accuser walks in and God says, hey, 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 accuser, hold up a second. Shh, do you hear that? I, I think our boy Job down there is, is singing oceans to me right now. I love that song. And remember you said he, he, he was going to curse me? Hey, spirit, would you get down there and, and help him to have a faith without borders and, and help him to walk upon those waters? Oh, by the way, accuser, what's up? The accuser says, well, it's only because he has his health. If you let me take his health, he'll curse your name. And God, again, says, okay, but don't kill him. Now, I love what this shows about the relationship between God and Satan. You know, first, the accuser is constantly asking permission, and that God gives him parameters. 
You see, they're not equal opposites, right? You know, the devil's saying, God, can I do this, right? They're not, they're not equal and opposite. As far as God is concerned, the devil, Satan, is nothing more than a dog on a chain. And God holds that chain. He's in control of him. And then the Bible tells us that Job gets this terrible disease of boils. I mean, it's all over his body from head to toe. He's taking shards of broken pots and he's scraping his skin and the pus is running down his arms and his legs and it grows and smells and his wife walks up to him and she says to him are you still holding on to your faith you fool curse God and die and Job says wow thanks dear I mean, I was just sitting here thinking I would love for someone to come and kick me when I'm down. And lo and behold, you knocked out one out of the park, babe. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate your encouragement. Again, the story of Job is meant to encourage believers. But how? Because these believers, they know the last five chapters. They know that God meets Job in his brokenness, that he heals Job, that he restores to Job all that he has taken. And we see the compassion and love of God made manifest in the many difficult days and in the moronic friends that are present in Job's life. Now, understand that those who first read these words from James, they can look back through the centuries and see God's faithfulness to the prophets and and God's faithfulness to Job, a guy who suffered more than anybody in this room. Now, Now, I know we have loss in this room. We have struggle in this room. We have difficulty in this room. But I don't know if anyone who's lost seven children ended up homeless and was dying of a disease. Now, that's why Job is the illustration here, because no one has a trump card over Job. That is, until Jesus comes and takes on the sins of the world. James says, consider Job. He, he, he points to Job as a, as a picture of God's mercy and God's compassion. And he says to them, and he says to us, therefore, when you consider Job, you consider how I showed up, therefore, hang in there. My promises are true. Listen, God never betrayed him. God never forsaked him. God never left him. God never failed him. And God never will. And again, I'm not saying that you haven't endured difficulty. I'm not saying that you've not experienced sorrow. I'm not saying that there are not some really messed up, broken things in this world. I'm just saying that, that, that in this last day on the linear line, when we get to that point, the old will pass away and all things will become new. And then we will see how all things fit together for our good and for God's glory. Amen? Paul said in Romans 8, I I consider, Romans 8 is like, I need to preach a series on that sucker, man. That's crazy stuff. Wonderful stuff. I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul says, yeah, it's hard. But when I look what's going to happen here, it's nothing compared to that. And then looking at all the difficulties, Paul writes, despite all these things, despite all these things coming against you, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Be patient. God's promises are true. Understand the Bible does not promise you and I a life of ease, a life without tears. It doesn't. But it does promise that God will be with us in the storm. Listen, 
God will not allow into your life, God will not allow into your life anything that he will not sustain and hold you together in. Amen? God will not allow it. God will not allow into your life anything that he will not sustain and hold you together in. Be patient. The Lord is coming. Be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other. Be patient. God's promises are true. Now, now here's what I know. We've been talking about patience, and for some of us, we're just going to write some things down, and we're going to kind of categorize it and follow away, maybe revisit it later. Six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, two months from now, we'll be like, gosh, I'm really struggling. Wait, wait, I, I think Steve said something back in September, and you'll grab your notes, and oh, the Lord's coming. Cool, everything's going to be all right. For, other of us, for others of us, we dragged ourselves in here today, and this isn't some idea we need to consider sometime in the future. This is a helpful word from God right now. You see, some of us have come in here, and it's, it's been a difficult week. It's, it's been a difficult season. It's been a hell of a season, right? Hell's been all over us, tormenting us. And we drug ourselves in here, not being confident on how... how how long we're going to be able to hang in there. And if that's where you are this morning, it's not the day, objective evidence of the grace of God and of God being for you and not against you. It's not this text falling on this day with you coming off what you're coming off of, evidence of God's mercy on your life and his love for you. I mean, is God not right now stepping into your space and saying, I'm coming, I'm here, hang in there. I mean, is God not right now going, I'm at work, hang in there. You've not been betrayed. You've not been abandoned. I've not left you. I'm doing something in you. I'm accomplishing something in you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Hang in there. It really is going to be okay. And is God not, in some ways, for many of us, saying, why do you grumble all the time? Do I grumble about you? Don't you fail me far more than they fail you? Don't you see the hypocrisy in your own self-righteous hearts? I'm at the door, bro. And I'm watching and I'm hearing this. I who extended such mercy to you, such grace to you, and I'm watching you refuse to do the same thing for other people who've not sinned against you nearly as much as you have sinned against me. You know, I'll tell you what, for, for some in this room, you, you know what it's really time for when it comes to your grumbling and you're pointing out everybody's faults and the faults of how this church or that church is so messed up is just... Put down your stones. Put down your stones. Stop grumbling against your brothers and your sisters. They're just as messed up as you are. Forgive as God has forgiven you. And for others, perhaps all of us, God brought us here to remind us his promises are true. His promises are true. 
He told the prophets that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come and save us, and guess what? He did. We read this week in Matthew 1, right? He told Joseph, right, You're going, you will have a son. You will call him Jesus, and he will save his people from his sins. Not might, but he will. Whatever God said he's going to do, he's going to do. If you're in Christ, you're free. Your sins are forgiven. He really is coming back. We really are going home. We really do have a perfect forever. We really can come into the presence of God. His presence really does live in us. His promises are true. Be patient. Now we're going to close with the we're going to close with the song, and, and, and uh, I don't know where you're at. God does, right? You know, and, and if you're going through a hard time right now, just know that what's going to make your soul well is God, right? God. His promises are true. No matter what you're facing, God will get you through it, Right? In church, we're on the same team. We're the same family, right? It's time to stop some nonsense in our lives. And it goes on. It goes on the time of James, right? It goes on, you know? We grumble in our heads. We grumble out loud. Just throw down the stones and help each other out. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you stand and pray with me? If you're today and you haven't yet surrendered to Christ and faith, repentance, and baptism, I'll try not to fall on these stones here. You can do that today. Father God, we love you. Holy Spirit, as we sing this song, you know what I need to hear from your truth and your word today. And you know what every heart needs to hear, God. I pray you open up our hearts as we sing that we do not allow our minds to be distracted, that we, we seek you, that we, that we seek your face, that we realize how much you love us, And God, I pray especially for those who are going through some really, really hard times and who just want to quit, God. I pray they know that your promises are true, that you love them, that you showed up for the prophets, that you showed up for Job, that you will show up for them. In fact, you're already there. You're already with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.